Idle Weekend. I'm Danielle Riendo, and I'm here with my co-host Rob Zachney on the newest podcast from Idle Thumbs. It feels like we have so much to talk about this week because so much has happened since just last weekend, Rob. Yeah, I mean, there's a million games we're playing right now, but there's also the fact that the Video Game Awards were just a week ago, Uh and then we had PlayStation Experience last weekend. And here's the weird thing, Danielle. For the first time ever, I actually want to talk about the Video Game Awards, and not just in the burn-everything-to-the-ground sense, either. I I actually think there's good things to discuss uh, with this award show now. Yeah, it's really, really interesting, because it felt like... In the lead-up to this, there was a lot of controversy that made it feel like this was going to be the most burn-everything-to-the-ground game awards, uh, VGAs, whatever, in in years. But they surprisingly and awesomely sort of turned things around. There was only one woman judge out of, I think it was 32, basically, uh, you know, people who were invited to do the judging for the game awards. And people were very rightly pretty pissed off about that, and that, you know, set off a lot of folks. myself included, I wasn't super happy about hearing that. Well, and I think it plays into this idea that the the, the VGAs have always been this really complacent, uh, like, self-congratulatory award show that has very little to do with video games or the people who play them. Yeah. Uh, And (laughs) certainly, like, in in the days when it was the Spike TV Video Game Awards, uh, they were always, like... They were so transparently about showing new trailers and marketing upcoming games yep. and completely screwing over the people who actually made the good games that were up for nomination that year. And so I feel like, you know, the the judging the judging issue, I don't know how it's been previous years. I suspect the, the judging has always been bad. But this sort of played into this idea we all have of VGAs being this award show that are embarrassing and that we all hate every year because yeah. they completely and grossly misrepresent why we're all here. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like up until about the week before when I actually found out that, you know, a woman from my site, Megan Farukmanesh, was actually going to be our judge. And I sort of started hearing through the grapevine that that was happening at other places as well and that women who, you know, work in video games and or game journalists were actually going to be involved more in the voting side. Then I started feeling a little bit better about it, uh, sort of privately. And then when I actually saw the awards, you know, last weekend, I started feeling a little bit better about the whole thing as well. They clearly made an effort to actually make more women very visibly involved in sort of the judging aspect. The whole pre-show, there was a 30-minute pre-show that was all, you know, sort of hype, and they showed a few trailers and so on and so forth. But they also showed a whole bunch of us, and by us, I mean, you know, sort of game journalists, uh, talking about our, our favorite games of the year and, and what we thought deserved to win in all these various categories. They actually, you know, hilariously put my face up there a, a few times and it was pretty funny to me because I actually was under the impression that my footage was messed up and I wasn't gonna show up on there but there it was uh you know myself and you know some of the folks of color especially from Polygon and it felt to me that they made a genuine effort to show that they were being more inclusive and that showed a lot in who actually won <laughs> awards at the show too uh, I feel like more interesting games sort of won awards uh, at this iteration of the game awards there were a few other really interesting things that happened before i get to sort of who won um there were there were a few parts that felt like hey this is this is cutting out of the mold of this sort of glad handing gross bro down that it sort of used to be there was jeff Keeley just throwing shade at konami for not letting you know supposedly not letting kojima come to the game awards and accept an award and sort of you know celebrate for Metal Gear Solid Five, which, you know, set the internet on fire, basically, and felt like a real, you know, a real moment of like, hey, Jeff Keighley's got, you know, he's he's not just Mr. Dorito Gate. He's he's he's, you know, showing a little bit of uh some bravery here and sort of showing, you know, this is his show and he feels a certain way, he feels strongly about something, he's pissed off. Good. You know, this is this was really, really great when that happened. Did you actually happen to watch that when it was happening? Uh, yeah, I thought it was it was pretty unexpected, and I think the the, the cynic in me says right now there's there's no better time to burnish your credentials than by throwing a punch at Konami right now. Oh sure, uh, because yeah. like because the thing is, Konami are clearly whatever they say are on their way out of mm-hmm. mainstream games. Like they just like, you know, like unless unless drastic course changes happen next year. 
like Konami as the publisher we've always known is is pretty much you know dead in the water. Yeah, and I I I don't know like I don't understand what's going on with with Kojima fully right now. Uh, <laughs> it, it's sort of it's sort of turning into one of those things where I'm starting to worry if we need to send in like hostage rescue. Yeah, uh, seriously. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, it, it's sort of one of those things where it's it's it it, pay, it doesn't hurt you to make Konami angry right now because Konami no Konami's not going to be around the way that a lot of other publishers are going yeah. to be around in the next few years. But at the same time, it was cool to sort of stand up for for a creator, right? Yes. For, yes. for someone who, uh, in some ways, it's, it's kind of emblematic of the way a lot of people are treated in this industry. And we yes. hear about it because we know, because it happened to Kojima, and he's this, like, industry luminary. But the thing is that the stuff that's going down with Kojima right now happens across the industry to you know to level designers to to artists uh people are you know denied credit uh they have their work basically stolen from them and uh then they're denied the ability to ever take a victory lap for their work or even yeah. complain about it yeah absolutely absolutely it, and it felt like very much you know i i feel like jeff keely folks love him you know they like him he's a likable person but he has always been so associated with that that goofy picture of him with the sort of Doritos and Mountain Dew, you know, sort of being the yes man sort of thing. And it really felt like this is actually a moment of him being like, you know what, I love video games and I'm going to have, a, I'm going to take my stand. Was this a, probably an easy punch to throw? Absolutely. <laughs> However, I'm glad he did it. I'm glad he threw that particular punch because it felt like a genuine moment amidst a show that's been known for not having a whole lot of genuine moments. And another one of those moments that, that really touched me, and maybe I'm, I'm a cheesy person, I, I will admit to that any day of the week, but there was actually a really heartfelt and touching uh, Iwata tribute uh, as part of the show as well that, that really felt like it didn't feel egregious, it didn't feel gross, it didn't feel manipulative. It was, it was actually just really kind of a nice moment that, you know, they took the time, somebody did a wonderful job in the editing, sort of editing together, you know, photos of Iwata, and Reggie came out and, and had a little speech, and it felt like the right tone in a show that has had some tone issues <laughs> up and down, you know, sort of its history. There was, of course, the Psychonauts 2 debut trailer, which every every nerd got, you know, very excited about, including myself. I'm putting myself in that group. Um, and for me, you know, going back to that whole idea of of the judging and the judges actually gave a shit, good games actually won awards instead of just... Whatever this year's mega budget Dorito Gate kind of game, uh, no, it, it was awesome, awesome games that I was excited about that were sort of getting nods. So her story, tiny, tiny little game, it won two awards. It got best narrative and best performance. And uh, the actress who was in uh, that game, Viva Seifert, Seifert, I think is her name. I could be wrong. Hopefully, I pronounced that correctly. Uh, she she went up and and you know got both of these awards and it was just this really cool moment. There was a little gaffe with uh, whether or not she was winning for Witcher Three or for her story. But, oh you know, right, right. Yeah, that was a and, and it was Jade Raymond actually giving the award and she had this moment of Witcher Three. You know, she was kind of like I think there's a typo, guys. Uh, but it was you know overall, even though that was kind of a goofy moment. Overall, I was really happy to see that game get serious recognition. Um, Splatoon and Mario Maker both won awards, and those are both amazing creative games. I think Nintendo at their best. Uh, Life is Strange actually won an award. I know. Life is Strange. This is game, Rob. Life is Strange. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Life is Strange won the sort of Games for Impact award, and it wasn't, you know, a big, massive, major, big deal or anything, but it was, it was cool to see that game actually getting its due. And here's what I'm really, really excited to note. Uh, game of the Year and Studio of the Year. Both went to Witcher 3 and CD Projekt Red, which I was shocked by and so happy because what game deserves it better than this big, beautiful, dark, complicated, awesome game that just has such an incredible world and such incredible world building in it? Yeah, that's, um, you know, the, the end of an award show is usually the time that I start flinging things at the screen because <laughs> yeah. uh, the... the, the you know, I, I I think a lot of them work like the Academy Awards, where you get these awful consensus picks, uh, oh, yeah. and oftentimes they're maybe maybe we're spared this a little bit in games because we we don't have uh, 
we I, we don't really have an equivalent of like the prestige art house costume historical drama <laughs> sure. uh, thing that 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 movies sometimes have going on. And I'm not going to sit here and say like, oh, The Witcher Three is such, such a bold choice, <laughs> but you know the thing is. It still remains kind of the defining experience of my gaming year. And I'm saying this seven months after it came out and post Fallout 4. Like, a lot of times the the games that come out late, the big blockbusters, and this happens in in film as well, those kind of get privileged come awards season because they're they're sort of fresh and the new hotness and they're driving discussion. And I feel like The Witcher 3 uh, still kind of, you know, stands up there as maybe the most uh you know maybe the most important game of the year maybe maybe or certainly the most like year defining game one of my favorite games of the year uh probably my favorite big game of the year everything felt like it actually belonged in that world absolutely yes. actually was written in such a way and designed in such a way that it made sense where it was it didn't it never felt like a checklist it always felt like a complete interesting weird dark maybe kind of fucked up world and Man, that was awesome. And it was so nice to play a game that didn't wink at you yes. so much. Like, yes. The Witcher earned its despair. Like, that was, a, that was a hard world to inhabit. And it wasn't, like, gritty as an aesthetic choice. Right. But it was it just... It wasn't Batman. It was, you know, <laughs> it felt like it actually had gravity to it. Yeah, exactly. Like, the, like, it was a world where bad things happened, and most people weren't having an easy time of it. There were very few happy villages that, like, you know, people worked hard, and they, they, they died hard in, yeah. in this world. And, and so that was a difference as well. It wasn't like a theme park world, which is what I associate with a lot of open-world games, right? Where, yeah. oh, we want to give you this flavor of all this stuff, and we want to give you the imagery of disturbing... Uh, events, a disturbing world, a disturbing world, a disturbing value system that governs it. Yeah. Uh, but we don't actually want you to have to deal with it. And The Witcher was kind of the opposite. It, it was, it was like, no, this is this is all real. It all counts. Like your your character trying to be decent in this really profoundly indecent world, and you were going to encounter the limits of your ability to change it, time and time again. Yeah, it, it felt great, and it felt like very much a. An open world game sort of designed for grown-ups in, in some ways. And God, man, I really enjoyed that game. Not that there weren't some wonderful moments of levity in it as well, but... The cat. Yes. <laughs> the, 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 the weird, like, Coen Brothers-esque, like, cat and witcher staring at each other for, oh, like, like, a minute. I loved it. it. It's just really... Yeah, there's just some just wonderful moments in there that they surprise you because it's such a dark world, but they surprise you in the best way and kind of made me laugh and smile and giggle and so on and so forth. I, I have to say, you know, I'm, I'm certainly someone who enjoys a lot of small games and, you know, maybe I'm not always known exactly for playing the biggest games or, or playing all <coughs> of the biggest games, but... Witcher 3 was definitely, I don't know, it, it just had that. It just hit me in the right place this year, for sure. And I will be going back to play more of it. I think I'm close to 100%ing that game, actually. Oh, wow, yeah. I've... Weirdly, uh, not something I often do, but I kind of actually decided at one point I want to go to every X on the map. And because there's actually something worthwhile at every X on the map, basically. Oh, there's... Like, I remember once I was stumbling through a forest. I was trying to take a shortcut to a thing that was poorly marked. Yeah. Um, and in this world, again, that's actually a bad idea. Like, that's that, that is as bad <laughs> totally. an idea as that would be in, like, a national park or, like, <laughs> you know, a, a or even, like, in the Middle Ages, right? So, like, oh, you know, leave the main road and, like, just walk cross country. Yeah. yeah. It's actually a terrible idea in The Witcher as well. And... I encountered a monster I'd never seen before. It was, it's clear, like, I'm sure at some point I will encounter it via, like, a hunt mission or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But it was just out there in the forest, and I stumbled into its hunting grounds, and I ignored the the initial signs. Like, things oh, no. were clearly off. <laughs> uh, and I just sort of kept traipsing deeper and deeper into the woods, and then I thought I saw what looked like a person. It was kind of a weird person. Yeah. And then I have a monster chasing me. Uh, a really, really nasty one uh, that, that keeps, like, casting stuns. And I, I barely got away. But it was this really harrowing, like, oh, yeah, so I'm the hero of this game, but the world 
kind of is, is indifferent to me in a yeah. way. And like that thing could have just snuffed me and I would have become like just one of those villagers who just stumbles across something way too evil uh, to, yeah. to be dealt with. Yeah, here lies Geralt. He, uh, you know, the great witcher. He did so many good deeds and he just, he walked in the wrong woods one day, basically. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, and you never know where where a cool bit of of story is is going to play out. Uh, so I mean, that's definitely a game I, I'm I'm looking forward to getting back into. But I almost feel like, oh no, there's other games now I need to sample. It's that time of year. But what else have you managed to get into uh, lately, or, or or have you? Yeah, I've gotten into a few things. Like I said, Forza Six is sort of my my jam right now, which is kind of funny. I'm certainly still into the Fallout 4 world. Um, not so much playing it myself, but I've watched my girlfriend play a hundred hours of this game, and I am playing it with Phil Kohler uh, at Polygon for, for work purposes, that sort of thing. I am enjoying Fallout 4 as a spectator sport, which also sounds like maybe not the way most people probably experience it, but it, this is a cool thing about my girlfriend. I mean, there are many cool things about her. But we're kind of aligned, morally speaking, when we play games. She she usually pretty much plays the nice guy, and I do as well. So when I'm, you know, sort of on the couch with her eating dinner while she's playing the game, I'll, I'll you know, I'll say out loud, like, or, you know, the conversation option I want her to take, and she pretty much always takes it. So I, I feel like I'm almost sort of getting this game secondhand in a lot of ways. And it it has still been a lot of fun to sort of see places where I used to live, you know. So many little Boston landmarks. Uh, last night, uh, we were walking around the Boston Common, and I was like, "Oh, I went to grad school right there in that building." Basically, it was one of those cool little moments. Yeah. I, I'm really, really enjoying that. So I've, I've finished most of the narrative stuff in Destiny uh, mm. right now, and and, yeah. and the Taken King as well. I've done the Year One stuff and the Taken King, and. Uh, I'm in a weird place with this game because sure. it's definitely become sort of a a major occupation of of mine lately. <laughs> like uh, I'm I, I'm not sure the last I can't remember the last time I broke like the forty fifty hour mark on a game so quickly. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, but you know there we go. <laughs> but I'm in this weird place with it because on the one hand it definitely delivers and the thing I was talking about earlier. Destiny is really dialed in like the like those guns feel fantastic like yeah, the hunter yeah. the hunter's scout rifle is just oh it's everything i want in in a video game gun it's precise it's it's, it's a fast-paced semi-automatic like you always feel it's just a badass marksman uh, with that gun great and so you go into these levels and the more you play them because you do repeat you, you repeat levels a ton in in destiny i almost call, call it content but i'm really trying to break myself of that habit sure um you know I'm a, I'm a human being. Uh, <laughs> There's only so much you can do. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, uh, so I, it, it definitely lets me like shut everything out and I get totally like focused on the game and it's satisfying, but I'm not sure there's ever going to be an, enough in terms of missions and stuff to do to keep up with how often I want to run a destiny mission. Right. So mm -hmm. like, I'm now repeating things for like the second and third time and I am doing them on higher difficulty now and I'm doing them for like daily rewards, like legendary marks that you can use to buy special items, blah, blah, blah. Sure. Yeah. But all of that becomes, it becomes this thing where I'm no longer playing destiny for its own sake. I'm starting to do it with this goal of getting more stuff, better gear. And that's, pushing me into this weird place where once again like oh wait destiny are you turning into a job too like yeah. you know i'm checking my daily quests things i'm supposed to do and like checking the boxes and everything and then i am running missions i'm having a good time running the missions but then get to the end and i didn't get a nice enough drop that, that i was hoping for and i'm disappointed uh and it's kind of weird because this is really rare for me because I, I generally avoid mmos for exactly this reason but here with Destiny, I'm at once sort of attracted and repelled. Because on the one hand, it's like, dude, like I don't want to play games for a loot chase. Like Maybe I'm just done with this game and it's time to accept that. But on the other hand, playing Destiny always sounds good to me. Yeah, yeah. God, th that's so how I felt about Bloodborne for completely different reasons. But yes, I, I get that. I get that feeling of like, you're thinking about it. You're craving it. You're like, man, I want to play it. But sometimes you're actually in it or you're thinking about it 
a little, you know, a step ahead and you're like, man, I got to do something else right now. Yeah. It is it is a complicated feeling. Video games give us the most complicated feelings, I feel. <laughs> Embarrassingly enough, yes, yes they do. Uh, I'll tell you what else I've what else I've gotten into lately. Finally got around to playing a, a little game, uh pretty hot, uh sort of people said it's a really interesting game from a narrative standpoint. You may have heard of it. Uh huh. The Walking Dead. Oh season oh, that, one. That one. Yeah. That good old game. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's, it's super weird playing this game now so long after I keep encountering these moments that are vaguely familiar because I heard so many people talk about them, Sure, but I don't remember enough about them. And so like everything I have is this weird sense of like deja vu because I vaguely heard about every single thing that happens in this, in this game, but it's my first time playing it through. And so there are things that surprise me again and again yeah uh and, and like you know in the in the first in the first chapter uh, i'm doing something like there's a little there's a little stealth sequence where I'm, I'm sort of running around a parking lot and like trying to creep up on uh, uh on, on some zombies to get yeah. them out of the way because you can't fight them head, head on and i am just i'm i'm really enjoying this game and it's, it's kind of been ideal for the for this uh, for this weird state i'm in because and this is kind of the opposite of Destiny. Like, Destiny's all about just, like, the mechanics. Like, control your character. Be a good shooter player. Get all tuned in. Yeah. And this is just interactive enough that I feel like I'm doing something. Like, it's it, it, like it's, it gives me something to busy myself with. But, man, is it ever basically the experience I get from, like, binging on Netflix. Totally. Yeah. And I kind of like it. Yes. I Like, I can see why this formula... Has basically like made uh, Telltale Mint at this point. <laughs> for sure, for sure. I I played that game when I was extremely depressed. Um, <laughs> oh, that, that believe it or not, on, on Christmas vacation. Um, and it this will sound like the cheesiest thing, but it's true. It it made me feel better. I really loved it. I thought it was really wonderful I, narrative experience, and I completely agree with you with the whole part about like it feels like binging. You know, when you had the whole season because I didn't play it. When it originally came out, either I played it. I think the next, uh, the end of December. You know, it was my Christmas break in 2012 or or whatever. You know, whatever year it came out, and it, man, was that awesome! It felt like watching, uh, you know, Jessica Jones or something of that nature. Was it? Did it make you feel better? Just as like, man, this is a really like smashing creative success, <laughs> or was there also something like about? Was was there like I don't know, a Schadenfreude where it's like, well, I'm sad, but that dude just came across the shop where his family died. <laughs> you know, there's a little bit of the misery loves company kind of thing to it. You know, I felt like being in a bleak world, and I was. Oh God, I <laughs> always that feel that way. Of time. My favorite games yeah. are are actually probably all really sad. Yeah, like that I think about like. I love the original. Did you ever play the original uh, The Darkness? Yes. 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 Oh, my, oh my God. God. Yeah. Like, that is one of these amazing games. Like, that entire game, for me, feels like the distilled essence of, like, what it feels like after your family suffered, like, a major loss. Sure. Like, because yeah. that entire world, you're, you're going through the, you're going around to different places in New York. Uh, but there's, there's some hub locations, like the subway station and everything. But everything feels really strange and sad. Like, everything yeah. is, you know, the, the you're, you're, it's like you've sort of fallen through the world. And, like, you see, you know, like, the, there's, you're, you're surrounded by, like, the, the junkies, the the homeless, the, the people who are mentally disturbed. Uh, people who are also no longer, like, you know, they're not behind the closed doors and the nice warm, warmly lit houses. Yeah. You know, they're out in the cold with you. And you can't you can't go anywhere that's comforting. And I actually like love that about the darkness. This is why it became one of my favorite games. Is that it's this? It's got this emotional texture of just like sadness and grief that is really incomparable. It, it feels real, I think, especially if when I'm you know I'm open about this. I have depression sometimes and anxiety. When I'm feeling those things, I just want that feeling reflected. I just want to. I just want that validated. I just want that. Feeling that somebody else uh, on the planet understands what it's like to feel 
pretty terrible. Yeah. And there's just comfort in that. I, I, it might sound weird. It might sound, you know, a little kindergarten, but it, it's kind of true. You know, when I'm feeling sad, I, I want to be with characters who are also feeling sad. <laughs> well, and maybe it's not even just about reflection, but like, it's like just someone who's good company in that yeah. moment because like, so, like, let's say, like, putting on a musical, right? Like, a musical is constantly with that friend is like, no, cheer up. Like, it's not right. so bad. Just, right. just be happy. And it's like, no, like, like, back off. Leave me alone. I, I like, that's not where I'm at right now. I can't, I can't hear that. And some of these games are much more like, you know, they're okay. Like, they're, they're okay with it. Like, hey, you feel this way? Fine. Like, just, just be, be in that, be in that place. It's, it's very much the role that sadness plays in <laughs> Inside Out. <laughs> You know, the, the accepting touch of a, a fellow sad emotion. <laughs> Cheesy, have, but true. Yeah. Cheesy, yeah, but true. It's, it's troubling how long my list of, like, good, good sad, or at least gloomy uh, games is. Like, this entire, like, little Rob Zachney subgenre, where, like, I could totally, like, <laughs> I could just crush a listicle about that, right? Like, yes. top 15, like, vaguely sad few games. Absolutely. Well, Rob, I, I have a game for you. Yes. I don't know if you've heard of this game, Life is Strange. It's God, a- oh my. <laughs> well, I hope you enjoyed the first episode of Idle Weekend and the and last, last episode of Idle Weekend. <laughs> no, but... Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's, it, but it's good, though. They're, these, they're games to uh, either let us like break out of the funk or maybe, yeah. or maybe wallow in it uh, wallow in, in, in just it. the right yeah. ways. If you know, like, you know, if you're a person who, who suffers depressive episodes or you have anxiety... You, Especially if you're, you know, you've gotten to the point in your life where you kind of know how you deal with it and you know how long it's going to be. It could be really comforting to just be like, all right, I've got this piece of entertainment, this piece of fiction that's going to keep me company while I get through this. Yeah, but I'm always not, I'm not clear on why, like, that feels okay. Like, oh man, I'm going to play the darkness and that's going to be good for me right now where I'm in this state. But like, but it the, idea of, yeah. but the idea of going into my bedroom and listening to like Counting Crows, August, and everything after, <laughs> like I did, yeah. yeah. Like I'm gonna, I'm just gonna listen to this album on repeat. I'm like, no, I can't do that again. Like that, that doesn't work. That's yeah. that's bad. That doesn't. Help. I don't. I'm not sure what the difference is, but it does feel like there's a weird difference there. Yeah, I, I you know, if I could ponder a, a complete guess, I would imagine it has something to do with the fact that games, at least certain kinds of games, feel like a place that you can go to, as opposed to just you know, sort of. Uh, something you listen to or, or something maybe maybe something that you watch also feels this way. But, you know, for me, being in a game, I'm in that game world. I'm interacting with it, at least on some level. I'm I'm there with these characters. I'm there with these people. There's there's sort of a sense of place in games. Speaking of good company, uh, yeah. perhaps we should perhaps we should crack open some of our weekend correspondence. I think that's a great idea. All right. Uh, this comes from Saul Alexander. And it says, congrats on the new show. Oh. Thanks, Saul. Thank you. Uh, Saul writes, what effect do you guys think the gaming community's obsession with avoiding spoilers has on the development of the medium? Oh, man. A bad one. (laughs) You know, so I, you know, I'm on team. It's fine to have a spoiler warning. You know, let people know if they, you know, if it's going to really bother you in your life fine, I'll put a warning on something. But that should never dissuade you from engaging more deeply with a piece of fiction you know if i'm writing a piece about a movie or about a game and something happens in that game and it's important to note that that it happened because that that gives you the context of course i'm going to write about it and of course i'm going to talk about it that's the only way you can actually talk about things is if you 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 know do it head on as opposed to talking around something but i also think there's a lot of stuff that is popular and that we we sort of consume as a group and like that is kind of that maybe like completely like its hook is you don't know what's going to happen next right like there's a lot of popular things where i strongly suspect in terms of you know thematic depth or sophistication like probably the the trend is bad and now you're just kind of going along for the ride where the only thing to really care about is what's going to happen to these characters like I don't know. I I kind of worry that this is where Game of Thrones has ended up. My cat just jumped down. Sorry. I'll be right back. Sorry about that. Don't worry about it.
I am so sorry about that. Oh, she was asleep and then kind of jumped down a little uh, bit. People love, people love cat interludes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so no, so I'm a, yeah, so I'm a little worried that Game of Thrones has ended up in this in the same boat, and that's that's a good example, right? Where that is a really spoiler sensitive series. I'm not sure I'm I'm invested in it for reasons other now than getting closure on what's going to happen to these characters. And it didn't start out that way, yeah. But it's kind of where I've ended. That's that's sort of the last hook remaining, and that's a good example. Most most things I think do kind of exist to surprise and delight, and they probably won't hold up if those uh, you know if those twists and turns are spoiled necessarily. We're getting to the point, especially in that series, where it's like, I just just can we just end this? Can we just can we wrap it up nicely? It's- you know, and I wonder if some of that is just impatience of, of being somebody who consumes a lot of media. And maybe we all consume a lot of media now in 2015, and we're all a little bit impatient because of that. And I'm not sure if it's a good or a bad thing. So to take your Life is Strange example, uh, <laughs> I feel like I hear that game discussed an awful lot, but not in much detail because nobody wants to talk about it in detail because everyone should just sort of experience it, right? And so there's kind of this... You know, for people who haven't played it yet, nobody wants to tell you anything. No, you, so you're, you're left with very little idea of what you're actually getting into or what makes it special. Yeah. Uh, and so at that point, you're just taking it on blind faith. And I'm not as enticed because I would actually like to hear maybe a more informed discussion, uh, you know, in advance before I get into something. But the spoiler obsession really discourages that. Yeah, I agree. Also, there's this game, Life is Strange. I'm sorry. <laughs> Let's go to the next email. This is from William Harris. Uh, and William writes in, Hi, Weekend. I work in the lucrative and booming American automotive industry. I work 12-hour shifts, five, sometimes six days a week. I'm married, and we have two children units. Finding time to play games, organize friends to do some tabletop and role-playing, or simply do any hobby is incredibly difficult. How does one find a healthy work-life balance? Especially if the work is inflexible, and as a husband and father, I have to meet a certain quota of participation to keep this family unit running smoothly. I've attempted to organize a schedule for me time, but that quickly fell apart as me time was incredibly undefined and difficult to justify. Help, Idle Weekend. You know the rest. William Harris. Oof. Yeah, this this email broke my heart a little bit, because yeah, that is... That's, that's 60 tough. hours a week of shift work? Yeah. That's that's tough. Like that's no joke. Yeah. Uh, I I only did uh, factory shift work for you know a few months really as a summer job, and yeah, it was awesome when I was a teenager. But uh, to to sort of be doing that week in week out, that's that's really tough. Now that said, I, I totally get it because I work freelance, and so you know there's no benefits. There's there's no t- there's no paid time off yeah. uh, if I'm not you know fulfilling assignments i'm not getting paid and that means i'm not making money for the next month so i get that pressure and i i've been in that uh, like i've done a lot of these things that you mentioned uh william like i uh i have this horrible habit of trying to create schedules because i'm like (laughs) no there's got to be it's just if i find the right schedule there's going to be a way to see my friends have good leisure activities quality time with my partner and uh oh what the hell i'll eat better on an exercise too yeah but i'll still get all the work done <laughs> and i end up writing these really baroque schedules like like almost like military regime like okay every day like <laughs> revielli is at like you know 5 30 in the morning i'm gonna be done with my shower and shaved and you know starting to work on my plan my day plan by 6 a.m and it's all got to run smoothly but life doesn't work that way and nobody's going to work around your schedule. So the schedules end up being this, like for me, they just end up being another thing to make me feel kind of crummy. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, you didn't, you didn't stick to the schedule and now the day is over and you haven't done anything but work. And where's your work-life balance? So I think the, the, the first thing is actually like give up on the idea of schedules. Like you're kind of going to have to get comfortable with the idea of you won't know when you've got time. You're just going to kind of have to rabbit when it comes the other thing i might suggest and again i don't know if this will be helpful but if you can kind of make it part of your family routine if you can do the whole wii u thing and mario kart with your kids and and your wife it sounds like this is yeah this person has a wife 
uh, if you can actually kind of, not everybody can do this, but sometimes people can make this work, kind of get some of that time in as also family time. There are some awesome games there that are totally appropriate for families. Splatoon is a good example. Uh, you know, Mario Kart, if you like that sort of thing. Smash Brothers. A lot of what Nintendo does does, you know, I think work well as interesting games that are fun to play and interesting to play, as well as being totally appropriate for family situation. Maybe make a priority of scheduling time with, uh, you know, some of those friends uh, for maybe in-person games, uh, tabletop yeah. or RPGs. Because, you know, the funny thing is uh, I managed to I managed to get a, a D&D campaign started with some oh, friends of mine. Nice. I, I didn't have time for, but because there was this pressure, like we, we only managed to do it like twice a month, if that. But there's there's some pressure around it, and it's become sort of a thing we all know now that you know Sunday afternoons, yeah, we 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 go play D and D, and that's just kind of time that we've come to accept is is booked for that and we're obligated to it, uh, and and it's kind of interesting the way that like an obligation like that sort of makes you realize oh there is there is a little time here that I didn't know I had because a lot of like I spend a lot of time worrying about my lack of free time, including my free time. Uh, but having a little <laughs> commitment like that can can really sort of force you to um, to, to to take that time and and get some of that balance. So yeah, good luck. Uh, Sixty hours a week that's that's a pretty brutal schedule, and uh, good, good luck getting through it. Looks like sixty to seventy two even sometimes. That is man. Yeah. Hope that I hope there's some nice overtime in there. Yeah, hopefully. All right. So uh, one last question here uh, from from Jordan. Uh, hi, Weekends. Uh, I got this email read on the Thumbs podcast, and the forums revealed that Danielle was apparently the person to ask about this. <laughs> I was wondering if you had noticed horror games diverging into two distinct groups as of late. With earlier games like Resident Evil 1, you had a very unsettling atmosphere coupled with limited defensive ability. I feel that this changed around Resident Evil 4, where the atmosphere of solitude and fear remained with scenes such as the Dog Maze, but you became a zombie whale killing badass. <laughs> now, currently, horror games seem to have split the style of game into two distinct ones. On, on the one hand, you have a very creepy atmosphere with your only defense being to run away from whatever chases you. On the other, you have games like Left 4 Dead 2, where you become the angel of death to any zombie unfortunate <laughs> enough to cross your path. Do you see the trend as well? What's your opinion on it? You know, I think this person is absolutely right about it being a trend. Although I see it almost more as a budgetary thing than, uh, you know, sort of a very specific industry split. Uh, you know, when Amnesia came out five, six, five, I think, years ago, it was it was this brand new thing because it was like, oh, okay, this is a horror game where there's there's no combat. You're running away from monsters. But it was also an indie game. And now it feels like a lot of smaller games, you know, focus on that. Smaller horror games, anyway. Uh, sort of focus on that because they can do that better. They can do amazing atmosphere. They can do really, really scary things. Uh, they don't need to do combat because they do those other things so well. Um, and obviously, there are some exceptions. Alien Isolation is probably the best exception, being you know a big budget game that uh, is much more terrifying and not really about combat. Um, I do personally miss sort of those those old Resident Evil style games a, a lot of the time because. There was a really good balance there. Um, but every now and then you will get something like an Alien Isolation. And honestly, I'm just happy that there's a lot of horror games mm -hmm. happening right now. There's a lot of indie horror. There's a lot of, well, maybe not a ton, but there is still bigger budget horror. And it feels like there's an entire spectrum of experiences. Uh, and I'm, I'm just happy that there's a lot of scary things for me to play. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you have those budget constraints. Uh, on on a lot of indies, so you end up with things where, like, you end up with things like Outlast, right? Which yeah. is okay. It looks really good. It looks like it, it it has a lot of like almost AAA level production values. Like it's it's made by people who know their their way around a major project. Yeah, but it doesn't have that many of the systems. There's not as much going on, in it, and it's not as stuffed with uh, stuff to do. Because yeah, they're they're an indie horror game, so it's just got to be this distilled. Well, you just got to run from the thing that's trying to kill you. And uh, I feel like everyone is sort of cribbing from, uh, you know, the Amnesia series. Yeah. Uh, that 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 series uh, that game kind of changed everything. But you know, if you look back at a lot of those older games, uh, Resident Evil One. One of the reasons it's the way it is 
is because they were kind of trying to make something that was both cinematic and also action-y, and they didn't have an ideal solution for that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, like, yeah, one reason you couldn't, you know, one reason it was really difficult and scary is because your characters moved like tanks. <laughs> uh, and usually you couldn't see, you couldn't see a damn thing, because you, yeah. you had these really highly stylized camera angles that were designed to obscure the action from you. Uh, and, you know, let's not get too rose-tinted about it. <laughs> would also screw you over a lot. Like, there yeah, are a yeah. lot of times where you just die because, like, you're running, 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 camera switches, and now you can't see what you're running from or where you're running or shooting, and you, and you just get grabbed and killed. And that stuff wasn't fun. Now, that stuff gets polished away because we know how to now combine style and, like, seamless controls. We've gotten a lot better at that. And you're not going to have many studios try and recreate that feeling of, like, vague panic and, like, lack of awareness. Uh, and I don't know. I didn't play, I didn't play Evil Within because that's a game that's explicitly sort of trying to be Resident Evil but made by a company today. Like, how did, yeah. like, do they, did they bring back some of that, like, jank and limitation? A little bit. And to be honest, I only got a couple of hours into it. Uh, there was definitely a limitation. You know, you didn't have a huge arsenal, that sort of thing. It, it, it was... Definitely playing to the the whole, you know, it's an action game and it feels good to play, but it's also really scary and, and you know, not going to be a cakewalk to, to play through. I think they did a decent job, at least as, as far as I got into it, of actually sort of hitting a good balance with that sort of thing. Um, but it wasn't super janky. You know, it, it wasn't really, yeah. the limitations didn't feel like they were just incompetence. Uh, we have less tolerance for anything that, like, inhibits us from exercising our control and our will as a player like we yeah. we, we don't consider like we'll just complain about it it doesn't feel good it might make it le paradoxically that makes a lot of things less effective like you know left for dead like nobody can your your characters in left for dead run around like standard like source source engine fps heroes right like yeah they just run and they run endlessly and my god their aim is just steady as a rock no matter what and it's it's completely unrealistic, but it, it feels great. Um, and I think if you were sort of try to reintroduce that, yeah, some people would love it. I mean, just look at um, you know, look at DayZ. Yes. But uh, yeah. you, you know, there's a reason Left for Dead sort of got achieved the stature it did. And uh, you know, it's hard to maintain. It's hard to maintain the horror when you are this this super empowered zombie killing badass. And I, I think there there is a reason. I think those are some of the reasons diverging that uh, that very real diver that, that that are driving that very real divergence uh, that Jordan's noticed. Awesome. So with that, I think we should go into our weekend projects. Rob, have you been watching or playing anything especially cool? Uh, yeah. So I haven't been doing as much reading as I would like. So I'm going to uh, punt and I'm going to talk about what I've been watching. Nice. Uh, I'm late to this party, but I've gotten into the second season of Fargo uh, lately, and did did you catch that series the first the first season? I have not. I've I've heard wonderful things. I'm interested, but I've not watched it. Yeah, uh, I love Fargo season two, and what's really crazy to me is how different it is from from the first season. The first season was very much a, an attempt to make a season long version of, of kind of uh, not not early Cohen brothers necessarily, mm. but sort of when. It was sort of when the Coens were at their 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 co their most Coeny weirdness. <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah. And so the first season had this this air of weirdness and absurdity, and characters kind of talked in the, this sort of surreal voice uh, that that made it feel very much like a, a lot of older Coen films now. And I would say that Fargo. It still has a lot of uh, a lot of nods to earlier Cohen work, and there's still a bit of that of that weirdness. But I think overall, it feels a lot more like No Country, for instance. Sure, yeah. The world isn't as necessarily strange in a Cohen Brothers way. It's it's just more of a um. It's it, it's it's now more of a standard dark crime epic, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and even even allowing for that for that change, what's amazing is that that tonal shift hasn't made the show any worse it's it's just made it different and i've really just been captivated by how strong the season is and one thing that this show does maybe better than any other is um it does confrontations mm -hmm. really really well yeah. like 
this is a series that understands that like it's never the gun battle that's the most exciting part of a crime story. It's the t- like or 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 it's never the murder. It's all the talking around violence mm-hmm. that's really interesting. Seeing these characters come together with this like this implicit threat of like just doing the worst, most unspeakable things to each other. <laughs> yeah. And just trying to talk around that and just like veil threats behind anecdote and asides and you know, quirks. It's it's fantastic. Like every every episode has like two or three scenes that are just absolutely riveting because you have no idea where they're heading. But they're just these like tour de forces of like great uh these tours de force of like great writing, great acting, uh and great direction. And uh, occasionally someone does end up dead at, dead at the end of them. That sounds great. I, I've always heard wonderful things. And I, I think it's going to be, it's, if, if not up next, it's certainly up there on the next uh, series I'm going to dive into, you know, completely headfirst and, and watch 12 hours of without a break. I lately, this is uh, slightly less serious, but uh, not entirely. I, I have been obsessed lately with Jessica Jones, the sort of new Netflix Marvel series. Um, you know, I watched Daredevil and it was fine. You know, it was entertaining enough. I, I didn't love it, uh, and so I didn't. I didn't really go into Jessica Jones thinking it would be anything special. But from the first episode, I was completely hooked. You know, it, it has. If you're unfamiliar, it is you know a, a superhero series about a woman who has super strength. She has powers. She's also a PI, and she is also a survivor. And this show goes into all of those elements. It is about being a hero. It is about being a survivor of sexual assaults and other horrible things. It's a diverse show. The cast is incredible and wonderful. And it just absolutely hooked me. Um, I I loved it. I watched it, you know, sort of over the Thanksgiving break. Uh, Just absolutely enraptured. Definitely. Easily my favorite thing in the Marvel Cinematic Universe by a Country Mile or 26.2 Country Miles. We should have a term for that, a marathon of Country Miles. Um, you know, which is not saying the, the most because I'm not the biggest fan of, of Marvel properties. I think Thor is fun. You know, I liked Guardians of the Galaxy. Avengers is, is totally fine and entertaining. Uh, but this is the first, you know, MCU thing that actually really hooked me. And I, I really, really enjoyed it quite a bit. So I, I just watched the first episode of that last night. Oh, cool. Uh, and I'm not sure it's less serious than, than Fargo. Yeah, uh, you're right, you're right. It's, it's, it's that, not. That first, <laughs> that, that, that first episode, I was like, well, not watching the second episode right now because I don't think I can handle that. I need some time. Yeah. yeah I, yes, you're right. Because that. that show, it's really oppressive. Yeah. Uh, it's like, even before it spells out necessarily what, uh, you know what Jessica Jones is running from, or hiding from. Uh, there is the sense of like, you know, panic and fear and lack of trust in in your world to be safe. Yeah, and it makes that really palpable in in every scene. And like something that I noticed uh, in the in the first episode, or at least I think I noticed, is that. Like I, I know enough about the the series to know that like the villain is the purple man or something, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and and his whole motif is literally like when he's around, everything's like purple hued. Like it, it's it's the theme that surrounds him. And in the first episode, there's all these moments where th- th- there's a few jump scares around this guy in the first episode, but there's also a lot of shots where there's a little bit of like purple light or vaguely purplish light yeah. infringing on the, on the edges of the frame. So it can be like, you know, the city at dusk or something. And the sky is just taking on that, that weird like purple light that, that cities do uh, around sunset. Or it could just be like a bit of, you know, neon lighting out in the street, but the way it's spilling into a room, it's just, is vaguely purple. It makes you like look and check. And because that's sort of this, this, this obvious like trigger for her, yeah. there's this constant sense of like, trying to keep this omnipresent fear at bay and it keeps sort of leaking into the world. It keeps leaking into the series and it makes it, it, it makes it kind of a, a, a tough watch. It, it can be, it absolutely can be. I, I think the first episode in particular, because it's setting the tone does, you know, perhaps play that card a little bit heavier than other parts of the series. Whereas other parts of the series are just more explicit about <laughs> nasty, dark, 
bad things that are very, very in line with, with the real world. And part of what, you know, I, I'm not going to lie. I, you know, am interested in series that, uh, you know, deal with the woman's perspective. Certainly uh, the fact that this is a woman superhero and one of the main issues it deals with is sort of an issue that so many women do deal with. And it's not really talked about it was so impressive to me, especially in the context of a superhero show. I, you know, part of me is just so impressed that it, there is a, you know, a, a show, a, a mainstream show about a superhero where there, you know, there's an explicit lesbian relationship. I'm not going to say who it's with, yeah. you know, whatever spoiler warning or whatever. Yeah, you know, there's a lesbian relationship. There are interracial relationships. The main hero is a woman who is a survivor of trauma. Like all of these things, I, I would not have said, you know, a few years ago, oh, you know what? I think a Marvel, you know, superhero show will be about all of these things. And coming so soon after the heels of Daredevil, which was, like I said, entertaining for me, but I didn't think it had, it pulled off the it sort of. It got so dumb so fast. Oh, God, it did. It was just about, you know, it was supposed to be about moral grays, and it was really just very much what you might expect from a comic book 10 or 20 years ago, maybe. Uh, whereas Jessica Jones, for me at least, really delivered on the storytelling as well as being all of these other things, these other things that will attract someone like me to a show like this and will speak to me more directly than, you know, maybe certain other things do. Uh, so just, I was very impressed by it. You know, there is some iffy writing, especially as it goes on. Um, oh, no. Damn. I'm, I'm not going to say it's right. bad. I don't think it's bad, bad per se. There, there's a little bit of cheese on the, the proverbial taco, I guess. A little bit, but it's not enough in my opinion to keep it from being a really, really excellent series and something that I, I just feel like that's maybe the my favorite thing on TV right now, or, you know, whatever, on TV, quote-unquote, whatever that means in the sort of Netflix era. It's, it's definitely special. I'm excited to see see where it goes next. And, you know, I'm hoping for a second season. I'm hoping that they, they go further with it and maybe improve on some of the iffy spots, but fantastic first season of a series, in my opinion. So with that, I think it's actually time for us to head out and enjoy our weekends. This episode of Idle Weekend was produced by Chris Remo and hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show at idleweekend.net and send us questions for our weekend correspondence at questions at idleweekend.net. To keep up with the latest from us, follow us on Twitter at Idle Weekend. That's easy, all one word. For Rob Zachney, this is Danielle Riendo, reminding you to enjoy the finest of Idle Weekends. Perfect. Awesome.